Let us turn to God in prayer again. Heavenly Father, we pray that you give us fresh eyes to see this Christmas story once again. Help us to see how profound, how glorious, how extraordinary it is. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, I'd like to begin today with a mini quiz and I'll need your help. Okay, so I want you to help me complete the sentence. Ready? Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Good. What about this one? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All right, what about this one? Baba Black Sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Three bags full. Good, we graduate. Well, we know these nursery rhymes, don't we? They come second nature to us. We don't even have to think about it. And it's almost the same with the Christmas carols. If you have been singing them year after year, they're also familiar with us. So let's, let's see if you can complete these sentences. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. All right. What about this one? We, we just sang it today. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. All right, what about this one? O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Again, it comes second nature to us, doesn't it? We don't even have to think about it. We just know it. But when it comes to the Christmas story, I wonder if it's the same thing, that it just comes second nature to us. We know it all already. You know, the story of Mary and Joseph and the donkey and the inn and the manger and the shepherds and the angels and the three wise men and the gold and the something and something else. And, of course, the baby Jesus. We know the Christmas story, don't we? It comes second nature to us. But I wonder whether we've become so familiar with the Christmas story that we've actually forgotten what it's really about. You know, just consider the nursery rhyme again. Baba Black Sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. Now, have you ever considered that nursery rhyme? It's a strange one. That sheep talks, if you do not realise. What about, what about Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men. I mean, don't they have anything better to do? It's a strange nursery rhyme, isn't it? And what about the carols? Joy to the world. The Lord is come, let earth receive her king. What are we singing about there? We're actually singing about the great joy that is for us because the king has arrived. What about O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel? What are we actually singing about there? We're singing, we're we're asking God to come to be with us, Emmanuel, to be with us, to save us, to redeem, to ransom his people. That's what we're singing about. And so I wonder whether the nursery rhymes, the Christmas carols and even the Christmas story has become so familiar with us that we've actually forgotten what it's really about. I mean, when we record the Christmas story, we record the joy of Mary, the excitement of the shepherds, the worship of the wise men. But you see, when we come back to the Christmas story, it's in fact a story riddled with scandal with shock and with surprise. 
And so as we come back to the Christmas story today, let me invite us all to come back with fresh eyes to see the scandal of Christmas, the shock of Christmas and the surprise of Christmas. And so firstly, what happened that first Christmas? Well, the first thing to notice is the scandal of Christmas. Have a look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, in the ancient times when you were pledged to marry someone, it was stronger than an engagement, but not as strong as a marriage. But to break up this pledge, you need a divorce. But now comes the scandal in the next bit of this verse. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, we read that and we know, well, we know how Mary felt pregnant. But just imagine what each of those people were thinking, what Mary would have been thinking, what her parents would have been thinking, what Joseph would have been thinking. Now, just imagine you were Mary trying to explain to Joseph, trying to explain to your parents, I'm pregnant, but I didn't do anything. Imagine that. How would that go? Or imagine if you were uh, Mary's parents. Imagine hearing your daughter falling pregnant out of wedlock. You're thinking, this daughter has brought shame upon us and our family. Now imagine if you were Joseph. Mary, the the love of my life, she would betray me in such a way. I'm confused, like what we saw in that, that little clip before. I'm hurting inside. But anyway, what did Joseph do? We see back in that culture, to in fact many cultures, not just back then, to fall pregnant out of wedlock would have brought public humiliation, would have brought great shame. But then we read Joseph, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So that is the Christmas story. The scandal of Christmas a teenage girl falling pregnant out of wedlock. The Christmas story is riddled with scandal. But we also see the Christmas story is riddled with shock. Now, after getting his heart broken, Joseph now gets the shock of his life. An angel appears to him in a dream. Now, angels don't just appear for no reason. But the angel said to him in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. Now, Joseph was thinking this was just a scandal. Mary's been naughty, unfaithful, and she's fallen pregnant out of wedlock before we were married, not with me anyway. But now he gets the shock of his life. The baby growing inside her was not just any ordinary baby. This was the divine son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, just think about that for a moment. How would you have taken that news on board? I mean, just thinking about that actually makes my head hurt. This is a human woman giving birth to the divine Son of God. That is profound. But, but do you see how shocking this story is? How extraordinary this story is? Now, I don't know what you'll be thinking of when you're thinking about extraordinary things. Perhaps you're thinking about what happened on the 20th of July in 1969. Anyone remember that? That or? 1969. Remember this? When man stepped foot on the moon? We, we might think that's extraordinary. That's a big feat by hum- humanity. 
Or perhaps you're thinking what happened last month on the 12th of November. Anyone remember what happened then? Well, we landed a robot, or whatever that thing is, on the comet. We're thinking, these are two extraordinary human feats. But you see, what happened that first Christmas far exceeds any of these achievements by humanity. Far more extraordinary than man stepping foot on the moon. Far more extraordinary than man putting a robot on a comet. Because this, what we're seeing here, is nothing less than the Son of God stepping foot on earth, stepping into human history, stepping into his creation. Now think, think about that for a moment. Would you like God to come to you, to, to come into human existence so that you can see him and hear him and touch him? Well, that's in fact what happened that first Christmas. The one who rules the universe, the one who made the universe, he entered into human history. But yet that first Christmas, the Son of God, he came as a helpless baby. A helpless baby needing to learn to talk and to crawl and to walk with flesh and blood and fingers and toenails. This was a helpless human baby that God became. And so, we've just heard about the scandal of Christmas. Here we see the shock of Christmas that the Son of God will become a man. But now we must ask, why would God do such a thing? If this is God's creation, if he made it, if he rules it, why doesn't God just come flying in with his angels? Why come in as a helpless baby? Well, now thirdly, here comes the surprise of Christmas. We see in verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, this baby is called Jesus because this baby, the Son of God, will one day save people from their sins. That is the surprise of Christmas. You see, it's a surprise because we're thinking, why do we need saving? Why does anyone need saving at all? But that is the surprise. We need saving We have a problem that needs saving. We have a problem called sin that Jesus has come to save. You see, Jesus came that first Christmas for a purpose. He did not just come as a baby and remain as a baby. He grew up, he taught, he proclaimed things, he did things and ultimately he died on the cross because that was to save us, to save this broken humanity. And so what does it mean then? Why why is this problem so big? that it actually needs saving. Well, the Bible never takes lightly the seriousness of the problem of sin. Sin is more than just breaking laws and commands and codes and not living God's way like hurting and lying and stealing and killing. I mean, they're all bad and that is true, that is sin. But you see, the heart of sin at its very core is a heart that is against God. To try to live life without any reference to God. That is the heart of sin. It will be a bit like if if my three kids choose to live their life without any reference to me at all as their father. I provide for them, I give them, I give them all the joys and pleasures they have, I clothe them, I pay for their fees, I drive them around, but for them to live in my household without any reference to me at all, without any regard for me at at all, without any acknowledgement that all they have has been provided by Yvonne and myself. If they go on living in my household ignoring me, uh, disrespecting me, 
no reference to me at all, treating me as though I'm dead, though they're living in my household. You see, that's not on. That's not on in my household. And so that is also not on in God's world. To live in God's world without any reference to God at all, that is the heart of sin. That is the centre of sin without any regard for God. And so, if my kids were to be like that, they are not like that, they're they're not perfect but they're not like that, if they were to be like that, what, what should I do as a father, as their father? I would discipline them, I would teach them. And so, it's a big problem for God as well. And what would God do? Well, there is punishment from God as well. There is punishment, and that punishment is far more serious than what I can do. That punishment that God will will do upon humanity, those who ignore him, those who live their lives without any reference to God, it's in the end eternal separation from God. God, the giver of life, the source of life, you'll be separated from him for all eternity. That is the punishment if we choose to live life without any reference to God. And so the surprise of Christmas is a surprise to many of us in our city, in our country. The surprise is that we need help. We have a big problem that God has come to deal with. God has sent his son to deal with our problem of sin, to save us from our sin. As we've sang today, as we saw in that video clip, he has come to restore us, to reconcile us back to God so that we can relate to God, not just as almighty God, but he becomes our heavenly father. But now we must ask, how did Jesus achieve this? How did Jesus save us from our sins? Well, this is where we see the connection between Christmas and Easter. They are completely connected, Christmas and Easter. Jesus became a human being. He had to become a human being to take the punishment for human beings. It is us who deserve this punishment from God. It is us who have lived without any reference to God, so we deserve the punishment and so we needed someone, a human being, to take our place, to become one of us, to take our place in punishment, to take our place in, in place of death itself. And so Jesus came to save us from our sins. He had to become a human being. Now in the 4th century, one of the great Christian thinkers of that time, Gregory of Nancyensis, he puts it this way. He said, this is why Jesus had to become a human being. He said, the unassumed is the unhealed. And so what he was saying was that if God did not assume humanity completely, then humanity cannot be healed. God had to become a man. That was the only way for humanity to be healed, to be saved. And that was what Jesus did. He became one of us to be punished in place of us and so to save us from our sins. Now, many of you would have heard of C.S. Lewis, that great author and Oxford professor, the the man who wrote the Narnia series. Well, when he was considering what happened that first Christmas, he was blown away by how profound, how extraordinary it was that God would become a man. And so he, he attempted to describe what happened and this was his attempt. He said, lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for a moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in all the world, would you consider becoming a dog? 
Will you put down your human nature? Leave your loved ones. Leave your job, your hobbies, your music, your art and choose instead of the intimate relationship you have with your wife or your husband, instead of that you choose the poor substitute of looking into the face of your husband or wife, wagging your tail, unable to smile, unable to speak. You see, Christ by becoming man limited the thing which was the most precious thing to him in the whole world and that was his unhampered, unhindered relationship with the Father. And that was exactly what Jesus did. For God to become man, that was humiliating. But he did that for us. He did that for you to save us from our sins. And so it may be a surprise that we need saving, but it was no surprise for Jesus. That's why he came that first Christmas. He came for you. And so this Christmas, what's your Christmas story? Well, if you look at this passage, it's a story full of scandal, full of shock and full of surprise. But the Christmas story actually calls us to respond. It's not just a story to make us feel good. It actually calls us to respond, to respond appropriately to that baby that was born, that baby born Christ Jesus the Lord. It calls us to respond to him appropriately, to trust in him that he came for us. And so when we sing now, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we actually mean it, don't we? We mean what we sing, that God has come to be with us, to save us. And so now when we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. There is real joy, a lasting joy, because the Lord has in fact come. And so now when we sing hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, we can glorify God in all his glory because he has come for us. And so what's Christmas to you? Hopefully you've come to Christmas again with fresh eyes. Not just another nursery rhyme, not just a carol we've recited. Not just a simple Christmas story. It's a story full of scandal, full of shock and full of surprise that God would do such a thing for you, that God will become man for you. See, this is the Christmas story. It begins with Christ and you can never become too familiar with this story. What is Christmas to you? Well, let me pray.